This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. We know that we're supposed to lay up treasure in heaven, but we'd also like to have a little fun down here. We know that we're supposed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if that's the case, why is it did, that God made a world full of good friends and, and sizzling, thick-cut bacon and um, freshly picked strawberries in June, Florida beaches in February? How do we live in this tension of setting our hearts and minds on eternal things but still having a desire to enjoy the world we live in right now? How do we do that? Uh, last week, we spent some time thinking about the different roles the material world plays in our lives, and I mentioned four. I'm going to briefly review that. First of all, the material world helps us understand and enjoy God. God uses the material world to teach us about himself so that we can enjoy what we discover. Just think for a minute about the vastness of the universe. We, we, we haven't even scratched the surface on its dimensions. It's saying something to us about the, the bigness of our God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God. The material world helps us to understand God a little bit better. Second, we looked at the the fact that the material world shows us how to live competently in God's world. There are numerous places throughout the scriptures where the writers are uh, using the things of earth, material things of earth, to teach us something about the Christian life. So in Psalm 1, the writer is using a fruit-bearing tree planted by a nearby stream to, to, to provide us with imagery as to what happens in a person's life when they meditate on the scriptures in a consistent and disciplined manner. The writer of Proverbs uses the sweetness, the sweet taste of honey to tell us about the sweetness of growth and wisdom. Uh, The writer of Proverbs talks about the ant and points to the ant. Look at the work habits of the ant and learn from that. Be diligent uh, in your day-to-day routines. So so the, the material world serves as a tutor, as it were, to us. It shows us how to live competently in God's world. Third thing we looked at is the material world meets our, our God-defined needs. When, when, when God surveys creation and declares that it's not good for Adam to be alone, he doesn't try to gloss over that and say, don't worry about it, Adam will be fine. Adam doesn't say, that's right, God, we'll be okay. It, just you and me, that's, it'll be great. No, God says there's a need here. Something's missing in my creation, and so he creates another thing of earth, a material thing, a human being to meet that need Adam's, uh, God says Adam has. And fourth, we look at the fact that the material world gives us experiences of God's glory and goodness. The, the material world acts like a prism. You hang up a prism in your living room window, the sun shines through it, and it disperses light into its constituent colors. The material world does that with God's glory and goodness, so that when you eat strawberries, you're not just eating strawberries, you're tasting the goodness and glory of God. Creation, material world, disperses the glory and goodness of God into its constituent colors, so that we actually experience the glory and goodness of God. We looked at that last week. A passage of scripture critical to to thinking about this rightly is 1 Timothy 4. Apostle Paul writes, he says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Now last week, I left off asking a couple of questions. We know that what God has made is good and we're supposed to enjoy that, but what about all the stuff we've made? Is there a difference between enjoying strawberries 
and enjoying golf? Is there a difference? God made the one, he didn't make the other. Second question is, can't our priorities get all messed up as we engage with the material world? Can't we take our enjoyment of the material world a bit too far? So we're gonna, we're gonna probe that today. Three questions I wanna ask and answer. Am I supposed to enjoy golf books and Thai curry? Or whatever it is you enjoy. Doesn't have to be those three things. What are the dangers of enjoying golf books and Thai curry? And how is the Christian life lived in a world of golf books and Thai curry? Those are the three questions I want to ask and answer. Number one, are we supposed to enjoy golf books and Thai curry? Are we supposed to enjoy what we've made? Before we can answer that, we have to ask a different question. Did God intend us to make what we've made? (laughs) Did God intend us to make what we've made? Think about how far we've come since Adam and Eve. The wheel tools made of iron and steel, leather goods, the automobile, airplanes, computers, that genius gem of a gadget, the fidget spinner. (laughs) Think about how far we've come. Did God intend the human race to make these kinds of developments? Or is human innovation another example of our rebellion against God? What did God intend for us to do with the creation he gave us? couple of verses that are important to that. Genesis 128, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. In Genesis 2.15, Lord uh, God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So God creates the universe. Human beings and only human beings are made in the image and likeness of God, which means we're made to uniquely reflect our creator in a way that other parts of creation don't. And implied within that is we're meant to mimic, imitate the creativity and the innovation that God put in to the universe. Think about how creative the universe is, every aspect of it. As an image bearer, as one who's made to be a mirror, you're made to reflect that in your creativity, in your innovation. Further, the word subdue in the original language is actually, it's loaded with meaning. It suggests that God created the world incomplete but filled it with untapped potential. He made the world incomplete, but filled with untapped potential, which means he intended for human beings to unlock what he put there. God intended us to cultivate his good creation through innovative efforts. Now let's think about that. If, um, If God was an overprotective parent, if God was an overprotective parent, After creating Adam and Eve, I can imagine him going to them and saying, I have made a beautiful and pristine world. Please don't break anything. But he doesn't say that. In fact, he goes in the opposite direction. God says, I've made a beautiful and pristine world. Please develop it. A mute, made a beautiful and pristine world. Please develop it. So did God intend for human beings to make these kind of developments? Yes, absolutely yes. So you're not sinning every time you drive your car somewhere. God's design was to create a good world with untapped potential and to have his image bears unlock through creative innovation all he put into it. So did God intend for us to, for us to make what we've made? Yes. Are we supposed to enjoy what we've made? Yes. Because it's an extension of God's creation itself. Uh, put simply, here's what culture is. Culture is creation plus humanity's creative efforts. 
Put very simply, this is what culture is. It's creation plus humanity's creative efforts. Now let's think about this. Let's take golf as an example. Think about all the stuff that God had to make for human beings to be able to come up with this invention. Think about all the stuff that God had to make in order for golf to be possible. Just one example. Think about the atmospheric and gravitational dynamics on earth that make this game possible. If either of those dynamics is skewed even the slightest bit, the, game's not, it, the game doesn't happen. Take as an example, and I, I found some, some uh, really smart people who figured this out. Golf on the moon. You ready for this? <laughs> golf on the moon. Okay, the average golfer, the average golfer, when they tee it up on the moon, would be able to hit the ball two and a half miles. From the time the ball's hit to the time it comes to rest, it would take 70 seconds. Now, <laughs> picture what the game's like on, on the moon now. Imagine having to drive the golf cart, or worse, walk the two and a half miles after every tee shot. And you think golf takes forever to play on earth. Imagine what a round takes on the moon. God created our earth with gravitational and atmospheric dynamics that make golf possible. And human beings used God's creation, they put their creative efforts behind it, and created this game in fulfillment of God's cultural mandate to develop creation's untapped potential. Uh, Take uh, Ty Curry, another one of my favorites. Uh, Who knew the combination of Turmeric, coriander, cumin, coconut milk, chili peppers, sugar, and and whatever other spices and herbs go into that. Who knew the combination of those things could provide such a delightful dish? And how many of those herbs and spices did God create in Genesis 1? He didn't make Thai curry in Genesis 1. He did not make Thai curry in Genesis 1. He made Thai curry possible in Genesis 1. So Thai curry is an extension of God's good creation. Everything God made is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. How about online scrapbooking? Anybody, peekaboo fans, Shutterfly? What are the others out there? I don't know. This is not my realm. Uh, God created a smorgasbord of elements, minerals, and metals that human beings through their creative efforts have shaped into computers and digital cameras, which my wife uses to create online scrapbooks of our family and shared experiences together. So for her, the online scrapbooking experience is an extension of God's creation that she both enjoys in itself, (laughs) in itself, but also uses to thank God for the family that he's given us and the moments that we've shared together. So God made the world and he gave human beings responsibility to develop its untapped potential. Are we supposed to enjoy what human beings have made? Yes, because what we've made is an extension of God's good creation and its fulfillment of the cultural mandate. That's the first question. Second question, what are the dangers of enjoying golf books and Thai curry? What are the dangers? Now, we aren't the only ones who face this. This has been a perennial problem for God's people. Take a look at what he said to his covenant people in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God 
failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now notice what the takeaway is not. The takeaway is not, don't enjoy good food. It's not, don't build fine houses. The takeaway is not, don't save some money. Don't enjoy what I've made or what I've made and you've developed. That's not the takeaway. The takeaway is, if the Lord blesses you with good food, if the Lord blesses you with fine houses, with a savings account, don't forget the Lord. That's the takeaway. Now in the Bible, forgetting God is not absent-mindedness. It doesn't mean you cognitively don't remember him. The text says forgetting God is a failure to keep his commandments. And how did Jesus sum up every command in the Bible? Love God, love neighbor. Now there are things that we have made, that human beings have made, that are transparently on the surface evil. I think we can all spot those things. And for probably most of us, it, We don't wrestle with those things. We haven't made it a practice in our weekly routines to indulge those things that are transparently evil. The struggle for most of us is enjoying good things in a wrong manner. That's the struggle for most of us. So let me illustrate three dangers that we face in our enjoyment of the material world around us. Three dangers we face. Number one, enjoying the gift but ignoring the giver. Enjoying the gift but ignoring the giver. Uh, Parents, you'll know this well. Your child opens a present, gets so preoccupied with enjoying the gift, they never think to say thank you to the giver. Ever happen? I'm sure not. I'm sure it's never happened to you. My children, at times have struggled with this. The order gets messed up, right? The gift becomes more important than the giver. The gift is loved and it's appreciated, but the giver is never acknowledged. That's one danger we face. We enjoy a good human innovation, but never acknowledge the God who made that innovation possible. We enjoy the gift, but we ignore the giver. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a gentleman I play golf with periodically who, uh, before we even hit the first tee shot, we'll stand on the tee box. He says, we're gonna, let's pray. We're gonna pray and we're gonna thank the Lord for this, uh, this opportunity. So he prays, he, he, he thanks the Lord for this raw material of creation that God has placed here for human beings' innovative efforts in, in bringing order out of this piece of land and for the opportunity for us to spend time together uh, enjoying this innovation and enjoying time together. It's entirely appropriate. Say thank you to God for this. See, the danger is engaging in the game of golf and never at once acknowledging the God who made it possible. So what good human innovation do you enjoy? What good human innovation do you enjoy? And do you express gratitude to God for it before, during, after you've engaged with it? Second danger is thanking the giver but ignoring the gift. Thanking the giver but ignoring the gift. Your child opens a present, let's be honest, isn't really excited about what he or she is opening and is looking at, says thank you out of obligation to the giver, then sets it aside, never interacts with it again. That's insulting to the giver, yes? You ever give a present like that? You give them the gift, but they never use it, they never engage with it, or worse yet, they re-gift it the next year. Kind of insulting to the giver. 
The reason you gave them the gift was for them to enjoy it. Part of the way you feel valued as a giver is to watch them enjoy the gift you gave them. It's another danger we face, not enjoying the gifts, ignoring God's creation and ignoring human innovation. It's characteristic of hyper-spiritual people. People who place all the emphasis on the spiritual world, but they ignore entirely the material world. Look, God values the material world. He created it. He values it so much that he becomes part of it. In Jesus, God gets a body. And when he's raised from the dead, he's not raised to a purely spiritual state. He's a physical being. God desires to redeem the material world. That's how much he values it. So one danger is overvaluing the gift, undervaluing the giver. Another danger is undervaluing the giver by undervaluing the gift. The third is thanking the giver but enjoying the gift too much. This is probably where a lot of us live. Thanking the giver but enjoying the gift too much. My child opens a present, expresses gratitude to the giver, begins to enjoy the gift but gets so preoccupied with it that he or she starts to ignore the people around him. My son gets a gift from grandma and grandpa, shows incredible gratitude to them for the gift, but locks himself in his room, enjoying the gift with an attitude of gratitude to grandma and grandpa, but never leaves his room to love the people that he's with. He's enjoying the gift, which is good. He's expressing gratitude to the giver, which is good, but his enjoyment of the gift leads to neglecting loving the people God's placed in his life. This can happen very easily for golfers. (laughs) Enjoying the gift so much, it takes you out of position to attend to the two great commandments. Enjoying the gift so much, it takes you out of position to love God and love neighbor. Over the years, um, our family has had the opportunity to enjoy some holidays with my folks and um, particularly around those holidays that usually are accompanied by feasts, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and uh, those have been cooked by my mom. Now, when the feast is before me, there are three ways to botch up the enjoyment of this. There's three, make note of this. There are three ways to botch up a feast. First is to eat, enjoy the meal, and never acknowledge the cook. It's the first way to botch up a feast. Second way to botch it up is to acknowledge the cook, but not eat or enjoy the feast, to set it aside. Third way to botch up a feast is to enjoy the feast, thank the cook, but get so preoccupied eating and tasting that you never show any kind of love or care for those you're dining with. Everything's focused on the food, I'm sure at family gatherings, you've never experienced that kind of awkward conversation. Enjoying the gift has absorbed so much of your time and attention, you're unable to love those around you. Three dangers we face, three dangers we face in engaging with the material world. Let me ask and answer one last question. How is the Christian life lived in a world of golf books and Thai curry? How is the Christian life lived in a world of golf books 
and Ty Curry. Joe Rigney, in his fantastic work on this uh, called The Things of Earth, says that the Christian life is lived with the right rhythms of direct and indirect Godwardness. You want to live competently as a Christian in a world filled with golf books and Ty Curry or whatever it is you love, your life has to have healthy rhythms of direct and indirect Godwardness. Direct and indirect Godwardness. Let me define each of those. Direct Godwardness, things like reading, studying, and applying the scriptures. God tells us to meditate on the Bible day and night. Psalm 1, we looked at that last week. That means with consistency and discipline. That's an example of direct Godwardness. Prayer, we're commanded dozens of times in the scriptures to pray. Watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray that the gospel will spread. Spending time in prayer is direct Godwardness. Worship. Scriptures tell us, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Come, let us bow down and worship. Worship is an example of direct Godwardness. In other words, direct Godwardness involves our conscious, intentional focus on God himself. Our conscious, intentional focus on God himself. God wants us to have dedicated times of direct Godwardness where we engage in these spiritual activities and where God is the primary focus of our attention. That's direct Godwardness. But not all of life is lived there, right? Not all of life is lived there. God doesn't expect you to quit your job or to ignore your children so you can read the scriptures, pray, and attend church services every waking moment of your life. So when you're not engaged in direct Godwardness, the question is, are you engaged in indirect Godwardness? Here's what we mean by that. Indirect Godwardness involves a subconscious focus on God himself while actively engaging with the world that God made. So included within indirect Godwardness are things like eating meals, Mowing the lawn, playing soccer, go USA, reading a novel, flying an airplane, washing the dishes, computer programming, we could keep going. The mark of indirect Godwardness is that our thoughts and intentions are focused primarily and fundamentally on God's world in all that it contains. So an illustration might be helpful here. What do we mean by indirect Godwardness? The human eye, your eye, can focus on only one object clearly at one time. You can test that if you'd like. It can only focus on one object with clarity at one time. It cannot focus on multiple objects in its field of vision with equal clarity. You can only focus on one thing at a time. We've been wired this way spiritually. Now, in your your sight... You have other objects. They're in your field of vision. They don't have the clarity of your focal point, but they are in your field of vision, yes? So the question is, as you play golf or enjoy Thai curry or you pick strawberries, you go for a walk on the beach or a hike through the mountains, the question is this. Indirect Godwardness is you might be focused on that thing that you're doing, engaging with God's world, eating of the meal, doing the activity. That might be the thing that, that gets your, the, the focal point of your clarity. The question is, is God in your field of vision? As you engage with his world, is God in your field of vision? 
Can he be seen somewhere? He might be the periphery, but is he in your field of vision? That's indirect Godwardness. I might be on the golf course. The game of golf is getting my attention. The beautiful scenery, the warm sun, the lush grass, the occasional time when I hit the ball well. I'm enjoying this. That's getting the focus of my spiritual sight. But at some point, in some way, is God in my field of vision as I engage with his world? That's indirect Godwardness. So how is the Christian life lived in a world of golf books and Thai curry? Do you have good rhythms of direct and indirect Godwardness? Do you have good rhythms of direct and indirect Godwardness? Do you have consistent, protected daily times where God is the primary focus of your attention, where you try to shut out the outside world? You spend time thoughtfully reading the scriptures, what God has to say to us there. You spend time communing with God in prayer. You're consistent in your active participation of the gathered church. That's direct Godwardness. Direct Godwardness helps protect us from idolatry. It helps us understand why all created things were made and so that when we use them, we engage with them while God is still in our field of vision. And when God isn't the primary focus of your attention, maybe the meal is, the activity is, whatever it is, when God is not the primary focus of your attention, is he in your field of vision? And does enjoyment of God's gifts lead you to thank him for it? Does enjoyment of God's good gifts fuel your direct Godwardness, your worship of him, time communing with him in prayer? See, they feed off each other. I hope this helps. So much of life is lived in this spot. When the service is done, you're going to go out and you're going to live in the material world. You're going to eat a meal. You're going to do some kind of activity. You have a hobby that you'll continue to nurture. So much of, the li- of Christian life is lived in this place. Do you have good rhythms of direct and indirect Godwardness? Where God is the primary focus of your attention and when he's not, he's at least in your field of vision. Let's pray. Creator God, the material world was your idea. It disperses your glory and goodness. It serves as a tutor, helping us live competently as your image bearers. It's a gift to us to be humbly and gratefully received from you. God, help us live with healthy rhythms of direct and indirect Godwardness. I do pray, God, that we would be a Bible-saturated people, that we would be a praying people, that we'd be a worshiping people. But when we're not engaged in those things, God, that we would be a people who always keep you in our field of vision, whether we're eating a meal or climbing a mountain or walking a beach. Give you thanks for the diverse ways in which we experience your creativity. And God, I pray that gratitude would rule in our hearts and minds as we enjoy this day in and day out. I pray this for your glory alone. Amen.